Hello, everyone. It's Henry DeVries, your host for the Marketing with a Book podcast. So glad to see you today. Uh, I run a company called Indie Books International, and we work with consultants and professionals who want to attract high-paying clients by marketing with a book and a speech. Thanks for joining us today. We have some special public relations topics to cover, how authors and speakers can promote themselves through speaking and through uh, certain marketing metrics, and we have an expert for that. Before we bring our expert on, we'd like to have our author roll call. So we'd like our authors to tell us where they're from and their name and the title of their book. So uh, we'll start off with uh, Chris Hodges. Hello, everybody. My name is Christopher Hodges. I'm the author of Noble Automation Now, which is all about innovating, motivating, and transforming your business with intelligent automation and hopefully keeping your best talent in the company while you do it. I live in Denver, Colorado, but from my faded background, you may tell I'm somewhere tropical on vacation. <laughs> Happy oh. to see you all here. Well, uh, great. Um, I hope uh, I hope that goes well for you. Okay, um, I'd like to uh, bring on David Goldman uh, next. Thanks, Henry. Well, let's continue the trend. I'm David Goldman. I'm uh, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but currently uh, for the winter, I'm in Bonita Springs, Florida, and I wrote the book, uh, The Road to Happiness: How to Get What You Really Want, and I'm very excited to be co-authoring a book with Henry and Mark, who are on either side of me on my screen. And that book is called Bringing in the Business. Thanks, David, glad you're here. Uh, Dr. Pam Straker, why don't you tell us about your upcoming book? Hello, everyone. I am from Brooklyn, New York, and I am currently working on a book and it has to do with caregiving and embracing the humor while really accepting that there will be pain, embracing the humor. Thanks for being with us. Um, Mark LeBlanc. Thank you, Henry. My name is Mark LeBlanc. I'm in downtown uh, Minneapolis. And one of my uh, recent books is a book titled Defining You, How Smart Professionals Craft the Answers to Who Are You, What Do You Do, and How Can You Help Me? Thanks, Mark. Mark is the uh, chairman of Indie Books International and uh, my brother from another mother and business partner. We both swore we would never take on a business partner. And then we, when we brought up the idea of Indie Books, we both said, okay, I'm in. Yeah, great. So end of that discussion. Um, I see we have uh, a guest uh, from the past, uh, Jorge Zavala. Jorge, do you care to share the, the book we worked on together? Yes, that was a great experience. Thank you, uh, uh, Henry. I am Jorge Zavala, I am from Mexico City. I, I am currently living in San Jose, California. And I wrote a book that is called Think Like Silicon Valley, Been Anywhere. That was the road how a Mexican person came to the Silicon Valley to learn about the secrets of the Silicon Valley and try to convey to the people, the entrepreneurs in Mexico. That was a great experience in 2012. 
and I keep going in that direction, learning about the Silicon Valley and sharing that experience in different ways now using audio and video. Jorge, it's great to see you. And I know we're gonna have a one-on-one -on -one conversation soon. So good, good to see your face. Um, Valerie, do you care to introduce yourself? Thank you, Henry. I'm Valerie Jackson. I am joining you from the Washington DC area. And I am currently working on a book called It's Like a Whole Nother Life. And that's informing the changes and, and looking at how the challenges in life have changed you. And, and the question is, have they actually? Well, thanks. So I'll, I'll go too. Hi, I'm Henry DeVries. I'm in uh, Oceanside, California. It's halfway between uh, SeaWorld and Disneyland. So my recent book is Rainmaker Confidential with Mark and Scott Love. And uh, I, I can tell you, uh, somebody read this book and said, I want to know who's the person behind this book. And they called me today and they want me to help them with their book. So uh, we're all about what happens as the result of the book. Um, so I'm living the dream too. Thanks everybody for joining us today. Um, I'd like to introduce Michelle Stansberry. Now, Michelle is a marketing pro, a public relations pro. Um, she's the founder and CEO of Little Penguin PR. Uh, I mean, what better name can you have than Little Penguin PR? And that's a strategic public relations company. It's based in San Diego. Her background is in public relations, branding, business development. Uh, she's worked with Fortune 500 companies and she's helped them build long-term brands and reach their target audiences. She's also helping a variety of businesses. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, you've been very helpful to me as a Forbes.com columnist because uh, you're very supportive and give me ideas for columns. Uh, one of the most successful columns I've ever written, and we measure success by how many people click and read it. Uh, everything we do at Forbes.com is measured. And one of the best, uh, most popular columns was how to conquer your fear of public speaking. Now I know the people on this call are not afraid of public speaking, but they can always use reminders on how to embrace it more. So before that, um, let's just go in. I would just like you to share what is the mission that you have for Little Penguin PR? I started Little Penguin PR because I wanted to bring the resources that the really big global companies have um, to smaller and mid-sized businesses, um, to entrepreneurs who are trying to grow their business. Um, and just like you do with indie book publishing, um, it's, it's pretty easy to take those concepts and bring them to um, maybe somebody who's never written a book before, maybe someone who's never done PR before, um, so that they can see really the long-term benefits of investing in that. Michelle, many people come to us and I ask them, what's the goal of the book? And almost all of them say is to build credibility. And then they say to have more impact and more influence. Um, eventually they might say more clients or lead generation. And really those are all the things that you teach and that you help your clients with. Um, you know, a book is just one form of public relations and publicity. 
and speaking is another. And we like to say that a book is the number one marketing tool. Speaking is the number one strategy for business development. So let's talk about that strategy, the speaking. Um, one of your pieces of advice is that if you're going to speak, you should focus on some key points. Could you expand on that, please? Absolutely. A lot of people, um, they don't get into speaking because they think before they do, they need to have a very eloquent, articulate speech planned out verbatim. And really, most people don't want to hear somebody speak from reading off a script <laughs> verbatim. Um, it's, it's not... Um, and thinking about key points is a lot easier. You probably give some of the same advice when you're talking to people about writing their book is, you know, you don't need to write the entire book in one sitting. Start by thinking about what are the points you want to get across, and those are your chapters. Same thing with a speech. Think about what are the main points you want to get across, and what do you want somebody to walk away having known, and start there. It's both easier for you, and it's more engaging for the audience. Thanks. Now, one of the things you say is, um, sorry, for my producer, I'm getting some feedback there. One of the things you talk about is don't be scared of giving the speech. It's not you against them. Really think of it as an opportunity for interaction. What did you mean by that? Well, this is an American Idol, right? You're, you're not sitting in front of a panel of judges while they critique you and potentially, you know, say horrible things to you and make you run off stage crying. That's not what public speaking is about. You're all in the room for the same reason. And that reason is that you have a few things that you think are important for them to know that you want to share, and they're coming wanting to hear it. Um, so you're already on the same team. Uh, there's no there's no judging, there's no adversaries. Um, so instead of thinking of the people that you're talking to as um, you know scary monsters in the room, think of them as your allies. You're all there for the same reason. Um, engage with them. Uh, make sure what what you're saying is is resonating and keeping their attention. But but don't feel like you are standing up separately on a pedestal trying to impress people. You're just sharing your knowledge. And Simon Cowell is not in the room. So that's something <laughs> we can be thankful for. Okay. Um, I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek's book, uh, Start With Why. I know with our authors, I always say chapter one is the why chapter. I know for speaking, you advise people to start with why. Could you explain that? Yeah, that's that's important. Um, both why are you in that room? Why did you decide to conquer your fear of public speaking in the first place and stand up there? And also, why is your audience there? Um, and one, you want to make sure those two things align, that the reason you're there isn't completely different from the reason your audience is there, because that's not how you create a win-win situation. Um, but think about why you're there. Are you trying to build credibility, position yourself as a thought leader so that you can you know, get more impact from some of the ideas you've put together and, and maybe in the future land some new clients? Um, and why are they there? What are they trying to get out of it? What are they trying to learn? What are, you, what are, they, what are they trying to know? Um, and if you don't know that ahead of time, find out. Um, for the most part, people aren't making you go into public speaking blind. Uh, so you can find out what, what are people trying to get out of it? And even if you can't find out ahead of time, 
you can make it engaging. You can ask people, what do you want to know today? What are you hoping you walk out with, with this piece of information or this action item or understanding this that had confused you? So just by starting with the why in everything, in, in a book, um, in a speech, in, in why you're doing this, um, takes a lot of fear out and keeps you on message. In the adult education world, we really learned until you answer the why question, the brain doesn't engage um, and people have their why. Um, and that was good advice. Back in the former times when I used to speak on stages to live people, <laughs> I talked to the meeting organizers and asked for a few names I could call. And one, people are blown away that the speaker is calling them to get their opinion. Two, you can learn a lot by listening. And I would listen to you know, their take on the meeting. Sometimes you find amazing things out that can be incorporated into your speech. Um, the, the other quick tip boots on the ground is when you're in the audience uh, beforehand, you mingle and you can do some of that leading up to the speech. And, and we hope to be with live people again, but now we're on Zoom. So it's the power of Zoom. So to your comments, there are still things you can do to find out the why. Um, what do you mean when you advise speakers that they need to watch and learn? Well, we've all probably seen somebody give a speech that has impressed us. We said, wow, you know, that person is so articulate, that's so engaging. I remember very clearly the first time I saw Henry speak just to embarrass him a little bit here. Um, and he has this great speech um, about um, different fairy tales. And then he goes into how to get out of a traffic ticket. And, and one thing after another was just so interesting and so engaging and so inspiring that after hearing Henry speak for the first time, I thought, I've got to know more about what this guy does and how he does it. Um, and that started the beginning of a, a, a long friendship and, and uh, professional relationship between me and Henry. And um, so everybody has probably at some point seen somebody give a speech, even if it's not a, a formal speech that has really impressed them. And to not just say, oh, well, that person's just great at public speaking and write it off as talents, which Henry obviously does have, but think about what are the things they put in it that made you like the speech? What are the things that they did that kept you engaged? Um, what about it made you inspired or impacted you? And you can take some of those same principles and apply it to your own speaking, um, to your own speeches and you know, borrow from the best. That's, that's, why they're, <laughs> that's, that's one of the reasons why they're there is to um, inspire us and show us how, how the professionals do it. We call it R&D, rob and duplicate. So <laughs> you just don't want to rob and duplicate their stories. Um, no. You know, you need no. to tell your own stories and make them your own. But but thanks for the kind words. Yeah, we, we call that the act, that, uh, <laughs> that three-hour workshop and uh, puppets and uh, jokes and other things. It's, it's, all, it's all the act and we, we work on it. Um, the encouragement I want to give everybody is we're all not as good as we think we are. Or put another way, we could all be better. 
And I think it's a journey. It's not a destination. Uh, you're always working on it. I've seen great speakers like uh, Mark LeBlanc and other people watching other speakers, taking notes, uh, thinking about, okay, how can I up my game? Um, so the professional, school's never out for the professional. Um, there are other great ways, you know, if you could join Toastmasters, I've seen people advance greatly through that. Toastmasters also has speech contests. Uh, speech contests challenge you. I, I certainly was in uh, speech contests uh, at an early age. You, you got to work on your technique. There's all these different things you can do to be a speaker. Um, the scripture says iron sharpens iron. So I really encourage people to get a, a great speech coach, somebody like Patricia Fripp, uh, who does this virtually online and you can study with her. Uh, we're publishing a new book by uh, Patricia Fripp and two world champions of public speaking, Darren LaCroix and Mark Brown. That's coming out soon. Uh, I really recommend everybody get a copy of that. I, I really hope they'll do an audible book so we can uh, listen to them because you can get so much more. It's just, we have to do things to challenge ourselves. Um, one of the things, it helps to have a thick skin, wouldn't you say, Michelle, when you're getting you know, feedback on these things? Absolutely. I mean, the first step is is just to try it, just get started. Um, but then absolutely being open to feedback, recognizing that public speaking isn't just all talents, you have it or you don't, but it's all a process that you work on, you continue to improve. And being being open to that is is incredibly important, especially from, like you said, the the, the experts in public speaking who, who really know their stuff. Darren LaCroix, you know, we've just published one of his books too. And he admits it very clearly that he was horrible at public speaking. He was, he was horrible. He couldn't tell a joke. He did open mic nights and, you know, people told him like, yeah, you know, you should not do this. Um, and he <laughs> became a world champion of public speaking, the, the Toastmaster honor. I like to do columns for Forbes.com on advice every year from the winner of the Toastmasters uh, World Championship. And it just comes back to all of them saying, you just have to keep working at it. You have to improve. Uh, you have to find somebody who's better than you are to help you take a next step and go farther. Michelle, I'd like to shift gears now. Um, another column that was very popular that you helped me with was about marketing metrics. And you like to frame it with a story and, and a uh, metaphor, if you will, you used Mad Men. Could you talk about what is Mad Men uh, and, and why you used it as a metaphor? Well, most people know about the Mad Men TV show, right, Don Draper? Um, and he is an ad executive at a fancy Madison Avenue um, advertising firm. And um, back then, you know, this was the 50s and the 60s, you know, Don would sit around his office, napping, drinking, um, just waiting for a brilliant idea to strike. And once the idea struck, he went in, sold it in a flurry of inspiration to the clients. Everybody sat there dumbstruck. Um, he walked out back to, you know, the bar and, and end of segment, end of show. 
um, you know, there was no follow-up to say, hey, how, how did that idea actually do? I mean, we know it impressed the client, but did it actually move the business forward? Did the, did the marketing work? Um, and that's something that was missing both from the TV show um, and also that era of Madison Avenue that was a lot of glitz and shine and big ideas, but not so much on the metrics. Um, so what can we learn now from some of the, the good things and the bad things from the TV show um, and, and looking back on kind of more of the old school way of marketing versus new school, like you said, Forbes.com tracks metrics of the stories that are written, right? Like it's not just, you know, putting someone's picture on the glossy cover of Forbes anymore. It's, it's look at online engagement, look at how many people are reading it, how many people are sharing it and tracking success that way. And that's, that's important for everybody to know whether they're marketing their book, marketing their business um, or marketing their column. When I go to New York and, and meet with editors at large publishing houses to talk to them about one of our authors, the first question they have is about their platform, which is really a question of, tell me about their metrics. They wanna know how many LinkedIn followers they have, how many Facebook friends. Oh, by the way, a Facebook friend is not the kind that will take you to the airport or loan you money. I spoke with someone today and they, he says, I let everybody who asked to be uh, my friend, I let them be my friend. And then immediately, if I don't know who they are, I asked them if I could borrow some money. So I thought that was rich. So <laughs> with these publishing houses, what they wanna see is also engagement, how engaged you are. Do you have a column with Forbes or Inc or some other publication? Do you have a podcast, one podcaster I interviewed, I said, well, how many people are gonna to listen to this podcast we're doing today? He says, Henry, I have to apologize because 100,000 subscribe, but only 30,000 listen to an episode. <laughs> I thought, wow, you know, many radio and TV shows would love to have 30,000 people engaged, but those are all the metrics and things you're looking at. And uh, we should go over a few. Um, the first one has to do with email. What, what metric is that about, Michelle? Well, email is incredibly impactful because um, you can get email addresses from your network of audience who just wants to you know, keep in touch with kind of what's going on with your business, um, what's going on with you. And you can either set it up so you can do monthly newsletters um, where you keep everyone updated or my personal favorite is create an email drip campaign. So that means every new person who signs up, they get started on this path, this journey um, through emails. And that way you can just kind of set it up once and um, not be entirely done with it, but you don't have to come up with fresh content every month because you're taking people through this journey of email marketing. So having people's email addresses, collecting them um, at, different things you're speaking at, um, of people who reach out and, and maybe want to be your Facebook friends, <laughs> more often LinkedIn, but, you know, say, oh, if, if you actually want to stay engaged, you know, I don't post that many status updates to LinkedIn, but I have a great email newsletter with tips and tricks. So e email is a very simple way. And even if you're not ready to start doing an email newsletter, 
starting to gather those email addresses from your target audience and people who are interested in engaged with what you're doing is a great place to start. Because then when you are ready to launch your email newsletter, you're not starting from zero. So these are opt-in addresses. These people have actually opted in or double opted in uh, to be on your list. And you have an unsubscribe button, they can get off. Michelle, I just have to talk about a pet peeve this week is I've been doing an active campaign to unsubscribe from the data smog, the email smog that is cluttering up my email. And I am not a person who signs up. I don't subscribe. And it's very maddening that I keep having to unsubscribe to something I didn't subscribe to. So just want to caution people, don't, don't be one of those people who just puts people on their email list and figures, well, if they don't want it, they can get off. Um, I think a day of reckoning is coming with this because it's being abused so much these days and there will be backlash. So just, uh, I'm, I'm on my soapbox, I'll get off now. Um, can I ask, is this for your personal email or is this for your professional email? Because I imagine a lot of people want to be featured in your Forbes column um, and might be reaching out professionally um, with all these email pitches. Well, and that's a, well, a let's talk about this. As, <laughs> as I was the president of a PR agency, you're the president of a PR agency. Um, there's that. Uh, a Cision, uh, formerly Bacon's, but Cision found me and put my information in their directory. So mm. the day that happened, uh, the number of pitches I get uh, is 10 to 20 a day. I'm so I get 10 to 20, it. yeah. Well, but a lot of them not only do the pitch, they put me on a list, mm -hmm. uh, Constant Contact or MailChimp. So they're, they're hitting me all the time um, and one frustrating thing is they have not read my column. They've not asked me, what do I cover? Uh, they're just throwing everything against the wall and seeing if some of it sticks. Um, so I do a lot. I'm, I try to be polite. I've been in their shoes. So I say, no, thank you. Um, now, I, if, if their pitch is so far off the mark, I say, no, thank you. Please unsubscribe me. Um, so they're losing their Henry privilege. They're losing your Henry privilege to just pitch me whatever you want five days a week uh, that is meaningless to me. Now, that being said, Michelle, I've found some great stories through some of these pitches. Uh, I'm very organized. It's, you've seen it, I think. I have an email I can send out that gives exact instructions on what I'm looking for, what the process is going to be, that you're going to give me two to three story angles. If I select one, then you're going to give me three to 400 words in a bio. Um, we're going to have to determine your credibility statement. Oh, this is where a lot of people fall down. Um, one, I asked, well, this is very interesting, but what's your credibility statement? When an editor at Forbes asked me, why are you quoting this person? What am I going to say? And the response was, I've been in marketing for 20 years. And I had to shoot back. Well, you know, I've been golfing longer than Tiger Woods. 
but that's not my credibility statement. Uh, so, you know, uh, everyone here, you're, if you're the author of a book, that is credibility. Um, if you've worked with Fortune 500 clients, um, Marriott, um, Target, uh, I'm trying to, oh, Semper Energy. You want to name some names, Michelle? Go ahead. I, I prefer to uh, keep, keep my clients anonymous so that uh, other people don't swipe in and steal them, try to steal them from me. <laughs> Got it. So that's where you would, um, and we do that in books where we'll tell true stories, but they don't have to be 100% facts. So we don't have to disclose real names and real companies. So you play it kind of tight to the vest like that, uh, poster of W.C. Fields playing poker, if you remember that. Okay, so uh, moving on here. Um, the number of email addresses is a metric. There's another metric having to do with emails. What would that metric be? Um, well, I mean, there's, there's so many different aspects. I mean, there's not just, you know, the number of people who have opted into your email list, but the number of people who are actually opening your email um, nice. and not not opening it and unsubscribing like like you have been lately, and then you know who's responding to that? Um, you know because your emails should hopefully have some sort of call to action, so that somebody can maybe learn more by clicking and and reading a blog, or somebody can schedule one on one call with you, or you know some other call to action that that if, if what you said really hit the mark, somebody is doing. And, and so tracking that is even more important than just clicking, seeing who clicked open your email um, because it's, it's seeing, is what you're saying in this, in this email newsletter, is it, is it hitting the mark or are people just saying, this isn't really relevant to me or I've, I've heard this before. Yeah, they, they always say that first email they get, if it's relevant, then, you've won the opportunity to send more, but if it's not relevant, uh, you can get in the unsubscribe or the delete, delete, delete. Um, we've all played that game. So great. So we, we build up an opt-in list and then one measure is not just having a list, but how many we send it out to. We don't wanna send things out too much, but then we wanna maximize it. You have a recommendation on frequency on sending to your opt-in list? I would say it depends on how niche your opt-in list is um, and how often you think that they'll really benefit from hearing from you. Um, if you think that, you know, you're, you're kind of talking to a very broad audience of, you know, people who do some sort of thing related to marketing in a business that's very, very broad. Um, your messages might not always hit on cue for all of them and you don't want to like some publicists are doing with you just keep sending you irrelevant uh, emails for most people i'd say once a month is a is generally a good kind of framework to say you'll stay top of mind if people are like oh who is that guy who was talking about independent book publishing i know i've heard from him in the past 30 days um henry yep there he is like now now's the time i'm ready to reach out without it being um, so frequent that, that people just get annoyed from hearing from you because 
as as funny and articulate as Henry is, and I would be happy to hear from him every day. I don't know that every, everybody um, everybody who's interested in what he has to say wants to hear from Henry every single day because it's just a lot of content to consume when you have a lot of other competing priorities. The strategy I've been using is weekly, and it's a two-minute tip. It, it needs to be short, a two-minute read. It says tip. It does all that. Um, and then you have to watch the, for us, it's constant contact. How many are subscribing to the newsletter? How many are unsubscribing? And that can be an indicator, a metric that you're doing it too often if you're getting too many unsubscribes. There was one school of thought, I interviewed people, I, I know Mark and I do not belong to this group, but they were the hit them hard, hit them a lot, uh, you know, make them make a decision and it's okay if they get off your list. Uh, you don't want to uh, not contact them enough. So it, it's just, it's a style. It's not our style. Um, doesn't sound like it's your style either, Michelle. Well, let's talk about leads. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say it also depends on what you're selling. Um, even if you're not selling a particular product, um, something like deciding to write a book or maybe deciding to do PR for the first time, you know, that's a big decision. You know, people who are thinking about writing a book, I don't know how often, like how, how long would you say somebody often thinks about writing a book before they actually take that step to do it? Maybe a year? Oh, well. It could be longer than that. Uh, Mark has, is it 10 years, Mark? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's like <laughs> this idea has been kicking around. And Mark has coached over a thousand people who would uh, fit this profile. So mm -hmm. I, I trust what he's saying on that metric that their people are talking about it for years. Um, somebody today just said, oh, I've just noticed that uh, I'm getting all these emails from ghostwriters and book coaches and so uh, I thought I should talk to you. I'm thinking that they're just noticing it now. It's, it's, mm. they were attuned to it. It's sort of that research about um, when you're not thinking about buying a car or let's say a certain car, a Tesla, um, you're not thinking about it, you know. But when you go like, you know, maybe I should get an electric car. Maybe I should get a Tesla. And then all of a sudden you start noticing Teslas everywhere. And then you take some step uh, like going to the Tesla dealership to, to ask questions. So it's probably that same way, Michelle, with, oh, I've been thinking about a book, but now I'm kind of thinking more serious that maybe this is the time, and now I'm paying attention to that. But when we, what you're talking about is a long lead time, you don't want to hit them hard and exhaust them. You know, the thinking about, you know, keeping them engaged for the long haul is, is really the way to go with, with a, a big decision um, like a book. Yeah. The, um, when we send a blast, um, inviting them to an event or something, we, we never do a direct sales ask. Um, it's always something where, do you want a report or do you want to attend an event? Something like that. We limit that to once a month. I, I don't want to do more than that. Um, because I'm with your thinking there, it'll, it'll put people off. Uh, I wanted to go to leads. So we talk about leads generated and leads converted as important metrics. Uh, how is that showing up in campaigns and advice you're giving your clients? 
Well, again, it's going to be different for every different type of business. If you're um, if you're more B two B, you know your your clients aren't you know the average Joe on the street, but are let's say Fortune five hundred companies. You're going to have a very different um, notion of how many leads is good <laughs> and how many leads um, converted is good. And again, the length of time for that sales cycle, even if it's not a hard sale. Um, is going to be important too for looking at your conversions. Um, so just thinking about, are you sending the right message to the right audience at the right time is what it all boils down to. And if you are, that's going to come back with interest, engagement, what you can call leads or converted leads, um, if you're thinking about it from more of a sales perspective. And those are the, those are the ways that you really can track that you're you're saying the right things to the right people, um, as opposed to probably what, what people are doing with decision lists that you end up on, which is spray and pray. Let's just try to get this one message out to as many people as possible. And who knows, it might stick with two or three. Um, you know, that can, that can exhaust some uh, leads and um, make it a lot more difficult because like you said, once once you create that bad impression, it's hard to come back from it. You only get that first chance to make a, a good impression um, by having great content, um, not, not selling too hard, um, creating opportunities for people to learn and grow without, without, ex without exhausting them or sending them things that aren't relevant to them. In the book that David Goldman Mark LeBlanc and I are writing about uh, bringing in the business. It's all about the conversations you have. And yes, we would define that lead generated as the first meaningful conversation you have with a prospect. And the book defines that there are other conversations that lead to that, but that's the one where they really want to ask you questions about um, how long will this take? How much does it cost? Uh, what have the results been? How does the process work? These type of questions, um, when they want to get to that, that's a lead. And then a converted lead, it's not necessarily a one meeting close. There are several other, there might be other phone calls and meetings, but then when they become a client, which means there's an agreement, uh, money has changed hands, uh, some sort of document. Um, I like to call that the batting average uh, from the meaningful conversations to the clients. And it varies for every business, uh, as you've said, you know, are you B2B? Are you uh, to consumers? Um, is the price point over 100, over 1,000, over 10,000? A lot of this plays into your metrics. Um, I, I'm leading up to um, the big the big metric. And if you could talk a little bit about average lifetime value of a client. Absolutely. That's, that is the most important thing because your relationship with clients are, the value of that is actually probably much, much more than the revenue that you're bringing in, right? Because, it, you know, if you're really good at, at selling your services, you've got a great You've got a great show, but what you're selling doesn't really match up to what they're getting or, or align with what they want. Then you might land that client, you might convert that lead, but you know, 
what's really the lifetime value of that client, both in terms of them coming back to work with you again and again, and also the all important referral of, are they directing other people to you to say, hey, you know, you've got to write a book with Henry, you know, you won't believe how, how easy he'll, he'll make it for you and, and how much you know, value you'll get out of it. Um, so that's where that lifetime value of a client comes in. And, and it's one of those things that can continue paying off in spades. I mean, I have clients that maybe I'm not working with right now, but I did a project with five years ago who send somebody my way here five years later that end up becoming a client. And, and that's the importance of good communication, you know, selling something that you really believe in and you know how to communicate to the people who are buying it so that their expectations are met and exceeded. Devin, our VP of production, who we got out of the corporate world and was a, a back-end rock star for Zulily and Pro Flowers and e-commerce, really helped our thinking on the analytics and looking at this. Uh, and this being an important one, but also for us, how many people attend our events? And of those people who attend the events, how many sign up for a meaningful conversation? We, we call it a book chat. And then how many of those people keep their appointment for the meaningful conversation? And of those people who keep their conversation, what's the batting average for them actually signing up? Then, we've been looking at, okay, on average, because a client for us can start at $365. Um, my biggest client started at 750, but wound up being six figures for the help that we gave them. Uh, but for most, we know our average lifetime value is somewhere in the 10 to $20,000 range. And we communicate that in conversations. Um, we don't believe in being too cagey about that information with your prospects. Their prospects are very smart. Uh, they are getting educated and they're looking for you to be generous with that type of information. So uh, thank you for sharing your thoughts on lifetime value. I just want to wrap up by saying, I loved Mad Men, but for all the wrong reasons. I watched the show religiously but it wasn't about these flawed characters and the bad decisions they continually made with their lives. It was always like, well, if there's a good decision and a bad decision, uh, was it Matt Wiener was the your writer? Uh, yeah, he's a, well, it's interesting. Have not choose the wrong one. So it wasn't that. It was the business of the ad agency because I grew up in an ad agency in my career, wound up being a president of an ad and PR agency wound up running my own. And once a speaker came from a very big agency, very big client, I'll leave their name out of it, but huge, spoke to the ad club in San Diego. And they asked for a volunteer to take this person back to the airport. And I volunteered because I thought, wow, you know, a free interview with this person. And we drove back to the airport and he shared this with me. He goes, Henry, our lives are not different at all. He says, when you get back to the office, you're gonna have a stack of messages you've got to call. You're gonna have clients that aren't happy with what you did and you got to fix it. Um, you're gonna to have to hire new people because there's turnover. 
He said, the only difference is we just add an extra zero to what we're doing on Madison Avenue to what you're doing here in San Diego, but it's exactly the same work. And I think the marketing and business development, we can talk about different people and look at different things, either Michelle getting clients for her PR agency, that's Little Penguin PR in San Diego, or indie books getting clients to help them prepare and publish and promote a book manuscript. We're basically all in the same business development business. Sometimes we just add a zero to it, or sometimes it's just a different flavor. But the fundamental things apply. Keep looking at your metrics, measuring those metrics, and you can't go wrong. Michelle, thank you so much for being our guest and sharing some insights into speaking and marketing metrics. And uh, um, if you're willing, we'd love to have you come back one day. I'd love that. Okay. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for being on the call. And we'll see you next week on the Marketing with a Book podcast.